Hi, everyone. Welcome once again to In Perspective. I'm Bob Branco, and of course, my co-host, Al Hensel, my good buddy, is also with us. Hi, Bob. How are you? How are you? I hope everybody good. else is fine as well. Thank you very much. Before I introduce our guest for the day, I would like to thank CJOY Internet Radio, Out of Sight Radio, and Radio Perkins and the Massachusetts Radio Reading Service for being kind enough to air in perspective. This beautiful spring day, we have with us for a second time on In Perspective, Stephen Theberge. Stephen is an author. He has written a book called The Metcha Message, which is a combination sci-fi and reality book about his time at Perkins. It's a very involved story. We can talk about that. Steve is also a compliance tester with the MBTA, and he also has a lot of thoughts about social media and website testing. Welcome, Steve. Yeah, that, that's the first hour. <laughs> Good morning. Happy spring, everyone. Yeah, it looks like the weather is finally turning around. For those of us with spring yeah. fever, this is heaven. Yeah. And so Red Sox are doing wonderfully. Seventeen and two as of this recording. They're they're just yeah. this is a historic run. Anyway, Steve, let's talk briefly about your book because you are an author and it's important for authors to get the word out. Now you wrote this book back in two thousand and fifteen, I believe. Fourteen. And could you briefly explain it came out in twenty sixteen. Could you explain sixteen? Uh, what the Mecha message is all yeah, about. Um, uh, it, David Fosher reviewed it and called it, called it a coming-of-age science fiction book. But basically, it's about two alien races that, it, like, if if you can look at it, like, if we had life on Mars, two, two races that kind of co coexisted and they worked together. And we were, like, the first planet they discovered in Egyptian times. And they're, they're concerned about our um, development, but that, that's the sci-fi part of it. But as, as I've told everyone, a lot of it is based on my life at Perkins. And people that have never read sci-fi, like some of my cousins and stuff said, they really enjoy it. So it, it has a lot of different, you can read it at different levels. It is, there's all kinds of issues, you know, bullying, um, I mean, it, it, it's, there's a lot of levels that can be read at. But I think it's mostly, or a lot of it is autobiographical, even though I don't mention Perkins specifically. So I kind of said, like, I want to write, like, I wrote two two short stories when I was, I think one at Perkins and one when I was in college. And I said, well, let's, let's combine all these three stories into one. So that that's kind of the basic premise of the um, book. Yes, and of course you and I and others share the same editor, Leonore Dvorkin, and she's fabulous. Yeah, they're, they're wonderful, yeah. Indeed, we, we're blessed to have people like that help us out. You know, they're, they're really more than the editors because they really, they really had a lot to do with getting the books out there in into the you know social media, as you say, where Amazon and all the different book sites because that for anyone not just being visually impaired it's a real challenge just to get that format 
it and to get it in the right out there in the right way and because I, I mean I, I've changed a few things on those sites but it's really tough just to ha- I mean yeah the great editors and he's a great cover designer but just to get those the books out there into the online and in create spaces they do an awesome job for what they charge us I mean which is almost you know, it's people charge so much more and you get so much less. Mm-hmm. As an author, Steve, you must know that there is a lot of competition out there. Many, many, many people, I'd say in the millions, are writing self-published work. And so each person has an individual goal, and it's very difficult to promote and make themselves stick out among everyone else who's doing the same thing. And in a lot of cases, it's financial. We cannot afford a lot of these promotions that companies offer us to market our books. It's very, very difficult. So could you tell the listeners how you, as an author and as somebody who wants to promote his book, how do you go about doing it with your limited resources and with all the competition out there? Well, that, that's the, I, I've subscribed to a lot of online stuff. I, I'm sure there's scams as far as there are publishing scams as well. But, yeah, I, I've i read that there's – and that was when my book came out in 2016. There's a million-plus self-published books that's – you know, we don't have agents. We don't have publish you know, we don't have the traditional, which it, that's all changed. But that's just the – people that they, you know, we're unknown. So that's why we're self-published. I guess, you know, then you have the traditional market. You know, you read all your authors, quotes, um, I don't know, Stephen King, you know, being this horror sci-fi or whatever, but those are well-known. Um, the money, yeah, it, it's like even, I, I've done a few minor campaigns on like Facebook, you know, p- promoting my ads and stuff, and it's it can get really expensive, but even that, it's like, how do you stand out? Because, like you said, everyone wants to do the same thing. So you get a million-plus self-published books. Then you have the traditional authors, all the different genres, and they spend big, big money. And it's like, how do you become a Stephen King? And then you hear about the Harry Potter. Um, I can't think of her name right now, but that's okay. It's like... Danielle Steele. No, Harry Potter is, it doesn't, oh, I should know, I've read four books, but no, it's, um, anyway, that's, it's just, the name recognition, you know, you get in, you get a certain click, and it's like, okay, somehow you could meet the right person, or the right connection, it's, it's definitely about the right connections, and someone's going to take a chance on this author, because she started from, like, nothing, and and even though the authors like I've read all about like Stephen King and it's uh, J, it's it's J.K. Rowling's by the way, Rowling. I mean, I should have known that. Like, but it's it was early. I mean, not real early, but it's like <laughs> yeah, there you go, J.K. Rowling. That's a perfect example of like an unknown. Somebody took a chance on her, and you, I mean, seven books. I mean, I am writing my sequel, but. It's, I can't even imagine. I can't imagine like some of these authors write hundreds of books. They must. They must have ghostwriters. But yeah, it's just the competition. How do you stand out? You know, 
you look on the online and you see any any genre, sci-fi, whatever you want, autobiographies, it's just hundreds and hundreds, thousands. It's like, how do you stand out? Where someone's going to say, oh, I want to buy that. Because so, it's, just, it's just like a flash in the pan. It's like, oh, I read, this book sounds interesting. This is, And of course, if you know the authors, it'll be called, oh, I'll definitely check that out. But it's just holding that attention. So, Steve, for um, our listeners and especially for myself here, um, I'm actually, I want to try to see if I can get your book. Um, I'm up on Amazon. Is it available on Kindle? Yeah, it's it's on the Kindle. It's ebooks, different form. It's on Smashwords. It's, it's very everywhere. Kindle's very accessible. I know a lot of people. I've I've actually had a lot to read my book. But, okay, so spell um, spell uh, the uh, title uh, of the book for us. It's it's kind of an unusual yeah, name. Yeah, it's the of course. Metri is M E T S C H E message. And so if you Google that, you'll definitely come up with the book. And I also have a um, website with my um, different options for the book. I actually have it. Um, and it's, by the way, folks, if you can search this a number of ways, but it's Stephen with a P-H. So it's S-T-E-P-H-E-N-A and then T-H-E-B-E-R-G-E, Theberge. And or the, the Mech, Mecha message, Mecha. Pronounce that again, Steve, would you? I will pronounce it the Mechi message. Mechi, Mechi. And folks, again, it's if you just search through Amazon, M-E-T-S-C-H-E, and it's funny the way they have it written here, Steve, but the M and the S are capitalized. It's all one word, and then everything is lower, okay? everything else. That's, that's, that was um, actually my editors because I was like, I don't know what to call this book, which yeah. is great. yeah. I, I love to write, but it's like, how, even my second book, I, don't, I have no idea what the title's going to be in the sequel, but because it's two met, metans and senans are alien, two alien races. I was talking okay, about. gotcha. an alliance where they get together and say, okay, we're going to go exploring the you know, universe. Gotcha. So, so folks, um, I like to lead by example on anything I do. So, uh, again, Steve, just for our live listeners, Folks, um, I just listened to Steve's introduction of this book in brief summary, and I find it um, um, absolutely captivating. I'm a Kindle fan myself, so I'm going to sp- happily spend the $2.99 and purchase this book. It's a great value. It sounds like a story that not only reflects Steve's beautiful imagination, but also it it sounds like it parallels in some ways, today's time. So I recommend everybody to go out there and uh, explore buying that book as well. Thank you, Steve. Now, Steve, you have a website. Could you just give out the website for our listeners? Yeah, that that's definitely will get you right to the. It's www.dvorkin, that's D-V-O-R-K-I-N dot C-O-M forward slash, and then it's, my whole name, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-T-H-E-B-E-R-G-E. There's no spaces or anything there. And you don't really need that forward slash. They always put one at the end, but it's not necessary. Okay, so you can get Steve's book that way or through Amazon 
and Smashwords and Kindle. Yeah, and th and that site has all the options for hardcover, Kindle, and actually, um, I think it's all. I'm also on. Um, oh, I can't read this morning. Well, they're all all the options are there. It's it's um yep. Great. You know, the different buying sites. Super. And well, it's also going to be on, on Perkins Library. It's going to be out shortly. They're, they're predicting by May it's going to be an audio book. Oh, great. It'll be on Bard, Steve? Yeah. Excellent. Well, I don't know. It will be on Bard at some point, but it's it's being recorded by the Perkins Library. Great. So it, well, yeah, Kim, Kim two, does put books on Bard. Yeah, two of Bob's books at least, yeah, they, maybe they, they three, books. ended up on Bard through the uh, Perkins Library, I think. Yeah. Yes. Excellent. Well, well, good luck. We have a copy here at the house. Uh, Amy has been reading it. She thinks yeah, it's cool. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Steve, to get into another topic, uh, you are a compliance tester. I'll say it this way. With a transportation authority, you are a, for lack of a better term, a monitor. Would that be right? To, to, a tester to make sure that they're in compliance with the ADA, among other things? Yeah, that, that's, that's the basic, um, I don't have a problem. It's MBTA, they, they, they actually released a video on YouTube, so there's no secrets about it. Um, basically in 2002, a group of people from the Boston Center for Independent Living filed a class action lawsuit because they had it was a lot, especially the wheelchairs, because people had to wait and they couldn't get buses to work and the lists and all that. And so it evolved into a, a large, you know, we're talking a lot about lawyers and how, how things are evolved. But the, the, the settlement was had they just. They didn't want money or anything. They just wanted the MBTA to be in compliance. And I guess in 06 it was settled because the video came out in 2016, the 10th anniversary. I have a lot of those video thingies on my YouTube channel. But basically what how it works is that I'm paired up with an observer. Now, the observer is, is, does most, like, all the um, – documentation like bus number, the driver's badge ID, what time we got on and off the bus. And the biggest one is like saying, did the stop announcements work? Now, sometimes there's mechanical issues so the driver is supposed to be announcing the stops. Or I might say, can I use the ramp? They're supposed to pull up. It's like a big checklist. It's really sounds... I mean, it is kind of, I've always said common sense, but yet again, you have to really pay attention and say, okay, is, did he do this? And, and you just kind of learn over time. It just becomes second nature. And I think the biggest thing is to stop announcements. And then sometimes there's like gray areas. Like it's like you say to the bus driver, I want to get off at XYZ intersection street of here and here. And the stop announcement will say, this is, your, you know, the stop. But the driver will have forgotten to say, oh, this is your stop. So it's not necessarily a violation because it, it, it was an audible. So some things are definitely clear violations on the you know ADA, like there's no stop announcements. If, they, if there's more than five stops on the route, they have to do that. I think that's probably the most known, the biggest one. And I always, I always had an issue with the... Um, 
you know, because they have they have the signage like for people that can see. It, it will, you know, show the stops. And I've always said, okay, that's great. If you're deaf, you can read it. If you're blind, you can hear it. Man, if you're deaf blind, there is no. I have seen no accommodation whatsoever. Like you, you practically need like a braille display thingy. So and it would, you know what I mean? I, I don't think they've addressed that issue. I mean, thank God I'm not in that situation, but. I, and that, that's going to be a challenge, but I, I enjoy it because I get to learn about the T. I never realized there was so many bus routes. I mean, it's unbelievable, the duplication in that system. I mean, it, and it's, it's just, it just keeps them, like the settle, that was the thing with the settlement. They didn't, it had not, they didn't really worry about cash. They just said, let's, let's do the, and now I understand from, from watching the, um, Video listening to it, it's that the the T, MBTA model or that model coming out of a lawsuit is actually becoming a model for the country as far as other transportation systems. So people always say, oh, you know, they talk about lawyers and how people say how they have negative things about lawyers, but unfortunately, sometimes because there's no such thing as ADA compliance police. So the only, the only avenue we have is the court. I mean, we can educate people, and it's great when they listen, and it's great when people say, oh, I want so, I mean. Steve? Yeah. Oh, okay. There you are. Um, I don't know what's the last thing you heard. But. Yeah, no, I heard almost everything. So it sounds as though, uh, I mean, it sounds as though things are going very well, that the MBTA is trying its best, from what I understand. I mean, they're not perfect, but they are trying. That's my take. Yeah, I mean, I think they're trying their best, and, you know, we can people compare always. I mean, you see these things on uh, online, like, oh, look at what they're doing in the Netherlands, and that's great. And, and then people turn around, why don't we do that in the U.S.? I said, well, we're, we're trying. We're, uh, you know, it's hard to compare one to the other because, I mean, the United States versus the Netherlands population is like, and considering we don't really invest in public transportation like smaller countries, you know, it's not really com comparing apples and oranges. I mean, you say the Netherlands, they, that's great. I'm glad they have all that stuff going on for the um, people with disabilities. But we, we have such a large country. I mean, people don't realize and and yeah this hasn't been a big investment in public transportation and or even our whole infrastructure i mean that that's a whole other debate or a topic because it's not a high priority so yes. considering what the t is doing and you know i i'd like to compare like if i had the time and money i'd, I'd love to go especially the big cities like chicago new york and compare and see see how they're doing on the but I think we do pretty good. Because like I said, the MBTA is, that, that whole test, testing thing is, is I guess, a, a model for other transportation systems in the country. And even, because like they said, the suit is pretty much, or the settlement, or whatever they're calling it, is pretty much settled, but the MBTA is still invested in the, you know, they're not gonna say, okay, we, we took care of that, we don't have to do it anymore. So, it's funny how we turned, you know, you could say, oh, they could pay money, but 
now that they're in the position that, that they're hiring people with disabilities to, to make sure the system is, so it's better to, it, it's kind of an ironic situation. Like you say, oh, you're going to pay so-and-so so much money, but now, now that she is committed to the future where they're not, they're not going to just say, okay, we, we had the, the legal thing is done and we're, we're done, but they, they want to continue. They have public meetings every month. With the general public can um, put input, and and they always want you know we the testers and observers are, are really important because it's more documented and specific to such and such a route. But they they welcome public input like all about everything. Steve, so I have I, I have I, I have I have before because it feels like we're about to evolve maybe soon into a different subject and before. Before BB actually, Bob Ranko, actually transitions into anything else, um, I have two questions for you in regards to your explaining about um, MBTA compliance. Um, first of all, let me say you sound really impassioned about what you do, and it sounds um, like as you, as you um, are on the job, you're learning, you're understanding more and more of the minutia uh, that surrounds what's going on out there. And you are, I mean, I just think of you as like super fair in your mind about how you look at this whole situation. Um, and I'll get to that in a sec. My, my first sort of light introductory question that came to mind is, as you go through your job, and I do have two questions, as you go through your job, Steve, during the, throughout the course of your day, do you ever find yourself getting harassed by people? Uh, I really can't say I've had any. I mean, some people are jerks, but I mean, gen, and they want to. Ha I think the worst thing I've ever had is people wanting to help. Like over helping them with pain or yeah. put their arms around you, around you, and say, hey, whoa, 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 this isn't a date. It's like, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's I'm good. Harassment, and I'm sure there are plenty of them, but. <laughs> I guess I've just got lucky because I've never really been. I guess that is a. I mean, that's a form of harassment. I don't know. What yeah, not really. I, yeah, no. I'm I'm thinking more like, do people ever snarl at you? Do they get in your face and yell at you and say, "Hey, what are you doing?" Do any of the drivers ever get angry if they or impatient with you when you know when when you and your um, document recorder uh, walk around doing your job? Do you do you ever encounter anything like that that's over the top?
for whatever reason, nobody's perfect, got off the bus and didn't notice that. So I was like, I sent it in and said, well, we're not calling you a liar, but we need, we need like two people to say, yeah, this, this is yeah, what happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's frustrating because, and I don't want to personalize it, but there is somebody I work with that's a little, at times, not 100%, but nobody's 100%. I mean, I've screwed up, too. Lack so, of, in it, other words, it's sort of lax about why it. Why am I here if, if, but overall, we get things done. Yeah. On the, and you see you had another question? Yes. So. On the job, it's like, it's, people always say, what's your dream job? I never would have thought this was going to be it, but I really enjoy it. Yeah, you do. You seem to. And and, it, and it's for a good cause. It, all right, so we're kind of leading into my second met, uh, question, Steve, and that is um, you said something that really hit home for me. Um, and first off, we did a, a segment uh, a little while ago when it was a hot item on ADAER, which is the Americans for Disabilities Act uh, education oh, yeah. reform. And that bill, I heard, is now, for all intents, pretty dead. So that's probably not going to go through. So now we're kind of left, I guess, to carry on with ADA in trying, not necessarily Massachusetts, but there are four key states that have these huge monetary non-compliance laws in effect that are causing lawyers out there, and I guess you'll get to that, to take, let's say, extra liberty. My question for you, you mentioned that you're building a model, and it sounds really good, Steve, because you just sort of touched on it, but I want you to circle back, if you would. You're doing, through the MBTA, you're more concerned about the main objective, and that is that people comply with disability situations, not necessarily with money, you know, paying out money, but let's just fix the things that are out there. Could you um, just elaborate a little bit more on how you guys are keeping things on the straight and narrow? Because it sounds like you are. Well, the basic premise is that, I, you know, the bus drivers do get educated. I don't think it's, you know, not, I'm not, I, I'm not sitting in on these bus driver trainings, but I, they do get training about the basics of, you know, what do you, how do you secure a wheelchair in the bus and all that stuff. But the thing is, you know, if you don't have people taking the bus every day that are, have disabilities, you might, you might get rusty. So like, so, you know, I think, and I've said this a million times, when you're more in, in the center of the city, you know, like where there's more people, you, you, most bus drivers are going to run into, um, somebody with a disability, but it, it really depends on the routes and the, how they, like w when they give us our routes, like we, we, we'll take like six, at least six, six different routes and just to test it out. So they have, they try to figure out where there's issues on the system and where, and, and it's not, you know, I, I joke about saying I'm a cop, but it, it's, they really want to educate the drivers, and most of them are all right. I'm, I've heard stories, there are some drivers, they, they just don't don't care about it, and, you know, they, they try to, it, they want an educational approach. That's why I do, I like the, the model, because say, well, they're in violation, so we want money. That, that's going to that's gonna give an impression that, oh, you know, 
people are going to get angry. So, you know, it's like, I got a speeding ticket. Yeah, yeah. you shouldn't have speeding, but, and the law is what it is, but the ADA doesn't really, well, that's up to the lawyers, but the ADA doesn't really specify if money damages. It's just that you're in compliance, and there's some, a lot of gray areas, too, but it's more as an educational kind of thing, I think. I look at it that way. Yeah. No, and that's the way it should be, I think, Steve. Yeah, that, that's my whole point. It's like, unfortunate, like I said, unfortunately, I don't know anyone in, you know, when they when they have this lawsuit, well, it's a settlement, but whatever you want to call it, it it's, you know, sometimes it's really the only avenue you have without, like I said, I don't know the whole specifics of the case, but... You can educate and you can say you're in violation, and and then you have to say, okay, how do we proceed? Because it, it's unfortunately, like I said, we we don't have it, we don't have police for a lot of things, really. I mean, police. You think of police for more like emergencies, you know, the hard criminal stuff. But most of our society, we don't really have overseers. We have to advocate, be our own advocates. Because there is no ADA cop. There is no ADA, you know, and the court should be the last resort. I agree. Thank um, you. Uh, speaking of which, this is a, a segue, and I'll take the bull by the horns here for about three or four minutes, and then I'll have Steve divulge what he wants, and Al, you can chime in anytime you want as well. But speaking of compliance and testing, about 11 months ago, I was offered to do some website evaluations as a blind person on behalf of other blind people because, let's face it, many sighted people, when they design websites, they want to put pictures on the sites. And, of course, that's okay. I suppose it's attractive. It's good marketing, and that's nice. The problem is that screen readers for the blind – have difficulty capturing the picture. So in other words, what happens is is that we, the blind, can't navigate on a lot of the websites like we want. So this lawyer, along with a team of other lawyers from throughout the country, decided that they're going to recruit blind website testers. Bob, should we mention the lawyer and his firm by name on this? I'll leave that up to Steve. Okay. So we are asked to do that, and apparently they get these complaints about these sites, and then they send the sites out to us to test. Originally, we thought we were going to get paid more consistently. As it turns out, to make a long story short, and correct me if I'm wrong, Steve, we only get paid by this organization for evaluating websites if the company doesn't do its job and fix it it goes to court and restitution is awarded and we get paid through the restitution to make it clearer the organization of lawyers prefers that the blind people who work for them are not employees but rather that they are Clients, They would rather see us as clients so that 
lawsuits could be filed on behalf of us. And therefore, if we win, we get awarded a paycheck. I have a little problem with that procedure. For one thing, there may be a public relations issue as far as blind people going to work for private industry. I mean, if if this is continuous for a long time, industry might think that, oh, these blind people, they just want to sue private industry. And that's not going to help the blind achieve gainful and productive employment. We want to be respectable. I'm not saying that we go out and just sue the company directly. The process is more involved than that. The bottom line is that apparently if we don't resign retainer agreements with this team of lawyers who are recruiting website testers, they will terminate our relationship. They prefer it that way. See, I would prefer to be an employee who's testing websites for a sustainable income. Yeah, um, I, I, I could go on, but um, yeah, you, you've had John Bosco on, on, I think, before. Not on this program. Broadcast. On Branko Broadcast. Broadcast. So that was Leonard Cosgrove LLC. There's no secrets about it. He's, he's on, I mean, I wouldn't have worked for him because I checked him out online because he found me on LinkedIn totally by accident. And I guess I didn't really think I was an employee, but I, I'm not saying he was deceptive, but the reason we found out about this recently is because he, he basically was representing us. Like he was the one, the middleman. And now he, he said, basically, you can work with these companies directly. So now we know like the underbelly of the beast, as you want to call it. And, um, yeah, it's an intre- it's it's kind of a strange relationship as far as like not being employees and have being like kind of client lawyer. I mean, I've gotten pretty good compensation over the months as and you know like I I knew I wasn't I don't I guess I kind of might have thought I was an employee earlier on because like I said John didn't really explain it like these guys at least are honest in saying this is what we're doing. And like I said, I'm not saying he was deceptive, but I, I guess you get the impression of, and I think I think that's the whole issue is if we were, they couldn't, nobody could really afford to pay somebody full time. And I actually read some of the settlement agreements they're signing with these companies. And it's, it's really, it's a fine line because we really want compliance, and some of these companies have to get like a baby, a, a, a expert in web accessibility, and you know nobody likes to be told what to do. But there, there are lots of sites that are more inaccessible than sites that are accessible. And some companies I've worked, I've worked for companies that were actually willing to pay. To, to be educated, you know, like I know um, Sony does testing and surveys. I've worked with Fidelity Investments not recently. They they pay top dollar for that kind of stuff, and I'm not even really – I don't have a degree in – they have degrees in accessibility. You can go to college to be an accessibility expert. And I thought I had a, a degree in computer science. I think it's unbelievable that just the levels of detail and I mean the law, the lawyers are gonna, uh, 
have to be loving it because this is not falling away because there are so many companies and so many websites and I I think it's um in a way it's a good thing because it it actually gets us involved because nobody really I mean you can read it in a book and you can go to college and say this is accessibility you know PhD land but the real people are us we're the ones that actually are doing the testing and the and yeah it would be great to say oh we're going to pay I don't even want top dollar it would be just nice to get minimum wage at home all day and testing websites but the reality is they view us as a minority which we are compared to other minorities being blind and visually impaired is like an ultra minority so it, it's really hard to, yeah we want to get paid but most of these companies like they're not educated unless you have a connection it means nothing it was easy for us to say, oh, it's inaccessible and put, put, describe the pictures. I mean, the, yeah, the big companies, they're aware of it. And, and I think a lot of people complain about, you know, we don't want, I don't want to get into these wars about ACB, NFB, but the NFB, I don't know how they went about doing it, but you look at the accessible ATMs. They had a lot to do with that. I don't know if it was a lawsuit. It probably was. I hope not. But unfortunately, it's like that's the only way. But, you know, I think accessible ATMs are great. So, Steve. And, you know, and I don't belong to any of the organizations. So I'm not, I don't have an axe to grind. It's like I'm not an ACB or an FB. Or I, right. I, I say if they've done good work, give them the credit. Right. And they work together now. It's not, it used to be like a big war. It's like. I think a lot of organizations are trying to work together as far as legislation. Yeah, which is how it should be. And I think it probably stemmed largely from ADA having been in place now for almost 30 years. Uh, I've got a, a couple of uh, – there's one observation I wanted to make. See if you agree with me. And then remind me because um, I'm approaching 60 chronological age here. So my, the uh, Ann and Nan gates of memory aren't working as well as they used to. Um, so the observation, Steve, is it sounds like with this, with um, the organ, the law firm that John Bosco represents, these folks appear, and just correct me if I'm wrong on my premise, to um, be the spearheading of this particular effort of recruiting blind testers, potential testers, to go out there and take a look at websites and see whether they're in compliance or not. Um, it seems to me like because it's a law firm leading this effort up, shouldn't it be an organization who is less desirous? And I hate to give lawyers in general a bad term, bad name, but this action doesn't it isn't a, a, ameliorating that feeling at all. So instead of having a firm or an organization desirous of going after money of some kind because their employees have to get paid, why can't an organization be established? And this is rhetorical, I suppose, but wouldn't you feel better, I suppose, as somebody being, uh, say, recruited if the organization had just merely compliance as their top priority and monetary 
value in the form of a lawsuit as an absolute last resort? And B, wouldn't it be easy enough for that organization to justify paying employees, i.e. web testers, on um, on a uh, salary or hourly basis even with money that they could, you know, perhaps collect from these organizations as a minimal amount like so for instance or if they if they did have to collect on a lawsuit they could take some of that money and spread it out over the whole aspect of what they're doing is what i'm saying does it make sense yeah but i i like i said i've read some of these settlements and they're not really about money it's like okay um that was my second question. Good. I couldn't divulge that because it's, right. it's more, um, you know, confidence. Sure. But they, they, a lot of these things, I see that they're more about compliance, just getting into compliance. And what I don't understand is if these this law firm, they're not getting paid, you know, like it's a last resort unless they get a monetary right. settlement. From the court, so I don't. I don't understand their interest in pursuing it. It has to be some kind of passion. I mean, like we can talk about the bad things about lawyers, but the legal system is responsible for my working at the MBTA, and we're doing a lot of good out there. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think it's you know. Yeah, it's easy to say, oh yeah, our lawyers are, you know, blah blah blah. They just want money, but I've. I've read, I've seen some of these agreements, and some of them have nothing to do about money. Okay. Some, some companies are like, oh, we don't acknowledge we did anything wrong, and it's what you'd expect. And and like a lot of other ones, it's like the, the company's supposed to get a accessibility expert, and it's a two-year settlement thing, and that's going to cost them money, of course, too, because an accessibility expert, they don't come to you. you know? There's one more thing I want to I wanted to add one more thing too, and and this is something that I've had firsthand experience with in regards to this firm, along with somebody else that I recruited out in Pennsylvania who also works for this firm. When I was talking to one of John's associates about a week or so ago, first of all, they asked me to sign a retainer agreement, which I, I took issue with. Because I would rather be considered an employee as opposed to a plaintiff. Yeah. I mean, all I'm doing is testing websites. I don't want to be a plaintiff for any action. But anyway, they also asked me to send them a blank piece of paper with my signature on it. And they pretty much said that this was because in case they had to use my signature for any future documents it would be there on file now they did say they would let me know every time that was going to happen but can you count on that well that that's definitely a concern um i'll say for myself they they always have asked me like do we have your permission to do this and that so i yeah it it i i know it's it's technically you know a lot of people don't understand it that they are they are doing what what's in the industry normal in that in that industry. So it's not it's unusual for us because we we don't see this every day because we're basically giving them the power of to represent us, which John Bosco had been doing all along. I guess we didn't really understand that. You know, we 
I, I kind of I thought I was an employee in a way, but he did. Like I said, he didn't, for whatever reason, explain it. And then he said, "Okay, um, I'm, I'm not the middleman, so now you work with these." So he was doing all that stuff in between, you know, like signing, representing, getting the money when you could. Like I said, I I don't want it to be about money. But yeah, I don't want to get paid for my work. I guess I guess when you see my article next month, Consumer Vision, I, I kind of touch on all those because I pretty much did write about this whole lawyer, specifically about the web testing more. And I do mention in the ADA my job a little, but it's timely because that that is exactly what my article is about in Consumer Vision. It's this whole issue. So doesn't, Steve, doesn't this sound like maybe if we could imaginatively here change the model to something more ideal, wouldn't this be something better for somebody, a group uh, of the blind, say the ACB, who's consumer uh, oriented, correct me if I'm wrong there, wouldn't it be more in line with them to perhaps Go to the federal government or each state, maybe a little bit more complex. I'm not sure how that structure works myself. Ask for uh, enough money to hire compliance people in a similar way to what you're doing out on the T. And then they could employ then blind people, maybe even at minimum wage or something a little bit higher if they could afford to do that and just have them go out there test for compliance if if companies are found in violation that person that tester would report back to that neutral organization then that neutral organization would write a letter to the company saying you are in violation please you have so many days or weeks or whatever to fix this if you know we'll work with you you know, please communicate back with us and let us know what your next steps are going to be. And then if they find there's a need to escalate this into a lawsuit, at that point, the attorneys could be gotten involved, could be uh, consulted. That, that, your thoughts? Because I was going to mention, I was thinking that a little earlier when we were talking. I said, what about, because people don't want to hear the government's about the solution, but then again, it's like there has to be some form, and I actually like that approach because I was actually thinking that earlier. So how would the how could the government? Because we're enforcing our own laws, so I mean the government does a lot to enforce other laws, all the manpower and the, that probably would be ideal and it would be great. But I don't see it happening unless, of course, maybe we have to, again, step up and say, hey, because, yeah, and I, and I say that in my article, I, I'm saying, unfortunately, I, I don't specifically put it in those words, this is the best system we have, but if someone can come up with a solution, I'd be glad to hear another approach, because this really is kind of ass backwards, I hate to say. Yep. You put in the cart before the horse and the lawyer. Right, are... right. And it's intimidation. You get a company get contacted by a law firm immediately saying, uh, we're, we're so-and-so, and you've been found uh, out of compliance on this. You better fix it. It's almost, if nothing else, it's kind of maybe their way, uh, willingly, you know, intentionally or not, of using intimidation to get people to do things. Well, in it, defense, in defense of these companies, many of whom, 
who design websites, and I'm going to stick to the website topic because that's what we're talking about. Many of these companies aren't familiar with how the blind right correct excellent point yeah they're not familiar so you can't blame them for not knowing what they're supposed to know there's a lot of teaching moments that are going undetected i was thinking that the other day that's a great point because it's like a good police officer will say hey you're speeding and you should be careful you know it can be a real a real jerk and say oh i'm gonna give you a ticket you're gonna, you're gonna hate cops, but if the cop pulls you over, a police person, or whatever, and says, "Hey, you know, you're going too fast. You're not supposed to do that," and be nice about it, it's like, "Yeah, I want to be nice about it." Say, "Hey, you don't even realize, you know," and you don't want to get angry. I mean, yeah, people sometimes we get angry, but it's like anger, getting angry at them because they don't even know. Like Bob said, just say, show them. You get more customers, but I, I think some of the prevailing thought is, well, that's just a minority. It's not important to us. It's not enough of a market. You know, they always think of it in terms of dollars. But if, if everything's just more inclusive, it's just going to be better. So, Steve, as we uh, near the end of this in perspective segment, um, I don't want this to be overlooked. In your opinion, because Bob and I, quite frankly, and others in his community of people, have had some very sort of back-and-forth intense discussion about this very issue where a law firm is is uh, in recruiting um, blind people as um, potential clients to do testing, etc. In your opinion, based on your knowledge Better knowledge, I think, the more detailed than probably Bob and I, certainly me, have had about this whole effort. Do you think that the, what they're doing, uh, or give us your overall summation, uh, are they doing it the right way? Are they not doing it the right way? Um, if, if, they're, if, if other blind people are approached by this law firm, possibly by John himself, to uh, with an offer to to join in their effort to, to find non-compliant websites. Is this a good thing? Um, give, give us your thoughts as a compliant officer for the T. Like I said, you, if you read Consumer Vision, you'll see my article. Um, I, I, have, I do have a positive spin on it. Um, yeah, I'd like to get paid for every, every key I clicked, but I guess it's my passion again here. It's, I really want to be part of the solution and, Yes, ideally, I'd like to get paid as a nine to five, but he—I mean—he's he, going after like really big companies. Um, I don't—I'd really like to have a talk with him personally. I think I should do that because I see a passion there. I mean, yeah, they're lawyers, and you know, you can say, "Oh, lawyers are all about money," but I've read some of these agreements, and they're not all about money. So I'm kind of curious as to how, what his, what his passion is as far as, you know, because it's, yeah, I, I, I think it's, it, it should be done a lot differently, but on the same token, it's like, I, I'll be happy to get paid when I do, because I have gotten paid two or three times pretty well, and it's not about the money, but yeah, we are doing a job, so it, yeah, ideally, it would be say, hey, you, you could employ a lot of 
visually impaired and blind people by, and yeah, it's got to be more than minimum wage. It doesn't have to be $100 an hour. So do you, do you think then, then Steve, I'm trying to read between the lines because you're saying so many things in, in few words that, that we may be missing some of what you're trying to communicate. Do you think the more ideal approach should be that somebody should be concentrating more on the smaller companies who might not have as much potential to offer back through the legal system or whatever, but yet many of them might be out of compliance and perhaps we could get somebody to work with them and not necessarily scare them, but just to bring them up to speed in terms of what they could be doing if, if I may interject, people, right? if I may, I'll interject on that one, Al, if you sure, don't, if you sure, don't mind. Sure, sure, sure. Okay, it goes back to the ADAER. How many of these smaller companies can afford the restitution that judges want to hand out in order for these testers? Well, right, to and I, th I think Steve's point is that, that this law firm is not going after them yet anyway, that they're mostly going after big companies. And, and Steve, just um, if you can answer my question, do you think more of an effort should be made at the more numerous smaller companies who don't have as much money to work with? Um. Yeah, but I, I think if they set example, if the big companies, I mean, I I can't, I do have lists of, he, he's going after like really big companies, like MyPillow. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get these sites and, and I say, wow, this this is, and but like I said, I they're really more into the, it's like the MBTA thing. It, it had nothing to do with money. So now how did the, who paid these lawyers if they didn't get money? Their goal was to just have a program at the T, which is going to go on for pretty much infinity, even after the settlement. Sure. So how how did these, you know, you say all these lawyers are, it's all about money. I mean, somebody must have paid somebody unless, but there are people that will have a passion and go out and say, well, do the right thing. But the smaller companies, it's, um, uh, yeah, I, I think you have to start with the big companies because, like, you look at Microsoft and Apple and you know, they, they're kind of well, doing the right thing because, well, they have the resources, they have the um, knowledge, they, a lot of people, and you know, it's not perfect. But. And under the current system, would the testers get paid as handsomely if small companies were handed uh, restitution? No, I, I think seriously, as far as even like Fidelity and stuff, the companies that willingly pay – because it, they don't do it very often. I think that's the solution because they pay, I'd almost call it exorbitant fees because it's not, I'm not worth a hundred bucks an hour. And I've been paid a hundred bucks an hour, but you don't work full time. You work two hours every six months. That's not employment. Now if they scale that down and say, we're gonna pay you 15, 20 an hour, you could hire five people to work an hour for a hundred dollars rather than paying somebody because you're a disability. I'm not even, a, a, like I said, I, I don't have a degree in website accessibility or, you know, all these fancy degrees, which that's not a bad thing. It's just that we're more real world testers, you know, Time you goes. have to know something, yeah. but you don't have to be an expert in accessibility. Steve, we have one minute. So I just want to summarize, uh, First of all, I think you do good work as far as testing 
websites as well as what you do for the MBTA. I think there should be more people like you in the system to monitor what goes on. So good luck with that. Also good luck with the sale of your book plus the new book that you're writing. Hopefully that will be just as successful as your first book. And we're very pleased that you came on the program. Maybe the next time you come on we can address your thoughts about social media. I know you have a lot of thoughts about that. I've read your articles. I know how you feel. Uh, so if anybody wants to write us here at In Perspective, please do so at Branco182 at Verizon.net. Take care, everybody. Go safe. Thank you, Steve. Thanks, Al. God bless everybody. <laughs>